way back, way back, we had these things called albums, music albums, right? You remember those? Um, and, and this is a generational thing because if you were born after, you know, maybe 2000, music works differently. So when I was growing up, we had these things, uh, we even, you know, had records, right? How many of you actually still own records somewhere? Did you know there's two reasons uh, that you own records? One is that you're very old, um, and then the other is that you're very young. But here's how an, an, an album works. Now, this, is, this album is from the musical Oliver. Uh, I don't even have a record player, but we have albums somehow. Uh, but I wanted to illustrate something with this, because back in the day when you bought an album, you were buying the whole experience. So you were buying the album, and it was about the album artwork, it was about the cover, it was about the lyrics being on the inside, there, was li- there were liner notes, and, and what you would do with the album is you would open that thing up, and you would read through it, and you would learn all about like what this is and what they're talking about, and then you'd pull that record out, and you'd place it on your record player, and you'd start at the beginning, and then you would listen all the way through to the end. Like, you'd listen to everything, because the way that the album worked is every piece worked together. Now, music today, those of you that have Spotify accounts, those sorts of things, music today, you just get the greatest hit, the, the best of. Now, there were times where you would buy an album, and you were like, I only like the song I heard on the radio, and the rest of it isn't no good. Uh, but there are albums that were made, they were designed by the artists to fit together, and so you would listen to this thing all the way through, because the whole album, like, painted this bigger picture, or the whole album told the story. So some of you, if you collect these sort of things, you may be thinking of some of those albums, um, uh, like the uh, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Um, oh, of course, probably uh, um, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. You don't hear that talked about at church very often, but the whole thing kind of fits together. Sandy Patty's Greatest Hits, anybody? No? No? There's about three of you who know, oh, four of you who know who Sandy Patty is, a uh, Christian artist from, from the 80s. I just thought I'd throw that one in there. But anyway, the point being that these, these were created, they were created, they were designed to, to flow all the way through this, this work of art, and you get this comprehensive idea of what the artist is trying to do. The correlation is that we often interact with the Bible like people interact with music today, where we pull out greatest hits of a book or of the entire Bible, and we like those verses, and we don't really interact with the whole book, the whole letter, the way it was intended, the way the author intended it to be heard. So, for example, let's use the book of Ephesians. That's the one we're going to be exploring some today, but the book of Ephesians has some greatest hits, and we like to pull those greatest hits out. We're familiar with those greatest hits. So, for example, uh, you're familiar with Ephesians 2, 8, for it is by grace you have been saved. We like that, and if you put a nice font to it and a nice background. You can use it as your Instagram story or your phone background, and it's very nice. That's a greatest hit. But there's, there's a bunch of verses before it, and there's a bunch of verses after it that actually go into the meaning of that verse. Uh, another greatest hit is Ephesians 3.20. His power at work in us can do far more than we dare ask or imagine. Who hasn't been inspired by Ephesians 3.20? More than you ask or imagine. That's a greatest hit. However, there's a whole bunch of work that goes up to that verse, and then a whole bunch that goes after. This may not be a greatest hit, except for parents probably, but Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. That's a greatest hit. We like that. We can pull that out of our back pocket if kids are, you know, not questioning our authority. It's a greatest hit. But the full experience is to take it all in from start to finish. Start to finish. So those are good verses, 
But we run the risk of missing the bigger point of what the author is intending to say. If you focus on the greatest hits, you can miss the point of what the author is intending to say. So what I want to challenge us today, we're going to look at the book of Ephesians, and you're going to notice that the author, uh, well, God, through Paul, was centering around this particular idea, this one idea that every once in a while he resurfaces and he addresses, and then he kind of goes back into some theology, and then he comes back up again and addresses this one idea over and over and over and over again. And that one idea may not show up in your greatest hits of Ephesians, but it is the point, it is the bigger picture that the author is trying to communicate to us. And so to understand what he's trying to communicate to us, we've got to understand the, the, the primary question that Paul is tackling in this book. And this is very important to understanding the point of this book. Now, some of you may not care. What do I care about the point of the book? I just want the greatest hits. I just want the verse of the day from my Bible app. That's all I want. But if you want to understand what some of the priorities that God has for disciples, this is going to be pretty valuable. And particularly in light of some of the questions that we as a church are trying to tackle. This is incredibly valuable. So we're in week two of our series called Elements, and we're talking about the basic building blocks of discipleship. This doesn't mean the elementary things. This doesn't mean the things that you're like, well, I should have learned that in first grade. These are the basic building blocks of discipleship. They're things that we just do not get away from, but sometimes we don't always do well. And that's why it's important to talk about them. So here's the question that is at the heart of the book of Ephesians. The question at the heart of the book of Ephesians is this, do I belong? Do I belong? Have you ever asked yourself that in a setting? Do I belong? Where you, uh, you showed up at an event and you're the only person wearing your particular level of attire. you either way overdressed for this or way underdressed for this. And you're feeling like a little out of place. Do I belong? I feel like I stand out because I should have worn something different. This was more of a t-shirt and Mountain Dew kind of funeral. I've been to those than it was a dress-up funeral. I'm a little overdressed for this funeral. It's happened before. Maybe you've walked into a room and realized that you were the only person of your type there. There's nobody else that seemed to be like you, and you're, you're kind of like, did I, did I miss a memo? Was, or am, am I not supposed to be here? Is there something that I missed that I should have known? People like me, people that look like me, don't often feel like this, but there's been a few times in my life where I felt like, do I belong? One of the times I was at a, a gym, and... Uh, the gym had classes that you could go to for free. And I thought, well, that sounds good. This class sounds good. And I walk into the class and, you know, there's a group of people there. And the teacher gets up to start and I realize that I am the only male in this class. I'm only the only male human being in this class. And I'm standing there and I'm kind of in the middle and I'm working my way to the back. Because I think, did I miss on the sign that says females only? Did I miss that? Am I not supposed to be in here? Everybody's looking at me in that kind of like way like, oh, good for you kind of thing. And, I, and so I'm in the back and the instructor gets started and I'm so nervous. So nervous about like, I'm a male in this all-female class. And another guy walks in the room and he kind of scans the room and we locked eyes. We nodded and now we're best friends. That's the way that works. Because at least I felt like, okay, I wasn't alone. I belong. We vac vacation together and everything now. It's, it's, it's wonderful. Do I belong? Do I belong? Fortunately, this question never comes up at church. Fortunately, right? It's never come up for you, whether it's here or somewhere else. You've never wondered if you belonged. You've never gone to a church and realized that they didn't ever get visitors. 
and everybody was staring at you. And it wasn't one of those friendly churches where someone was going to come up and be nice. They were like, why are you here? Do I belong? It, it, unfortunately, it does happen at church. It happens quite a bit. In fact, I remember, this is, this is my very first Sunday here, question of whether or not I belong. I mean, I was hired by the church here. But when you come into church, a church has all different like traditions and ways of doing things. You may not even know, but some of you, if you can recall your first few weeks at church visiting here, there are things that we did that you're like, oh, I don't understand that. Why do they do that? Why are they? One of the things that we do that maybe if you've been coming here for 20, 30 years, you've just forgotten about, we have certain songs that we use special claps on. And so you'll be singing away and you're like, okay, I'm familiar with this song. But then the Woodbury Church of Christ has a special little double clap right at the middle of Shine Jesus Shine. And you're like, where did that come from? That wasn't on the overhead. Nobody warned me. Nobody said when they on the bulletin that, hey, we're going to have some special claps. And all of a sudden everybody's doing the clap. They all know how to do it. Except for you, because you're new, and you don't know what's going on. And those little, they're just little things. It's not that big a deal. Everybody's very friendly. But you're just like, do, do I belong? Do I get it? Did I miss something? Did I miss some memo? The church in Ephesus had essentially two types of Christians. I mean, obviously, they had many types of different people. But they, they, they had kind of broken down their church to two types of people. But there were Hebrew Christians... So there are Christians that had grown up with the law. They had grown up with the dietary restrictions of the law. They had grown up keeping the Sabbath. They had grown up meeting together on the weekend. They had grown up with all these particular ways of doing things. And when they became Christians, they just sort of adapted Christianity to their way of doing things. So if you showed up at a potluck meal with a bunch of Hebrew Christians, nobody brought hot dogs or pork chops because of their way of doing things. It was, it was their way of doing things. It was Christianity, but it was this particular version, this particular brand of Christianity. That was one group. And then there were Gentile Christians. And they had been converted from idol worship. I mean, they had grown up going to temples. They had grown up offering food to idols. They had grown up with all these practices that were completely foreign to the Hebrew Christians. And they were trying to navigate their way through Christianity, getting rid of some of those things and trying to figure out what, what's cultural and what's, what, what, what is part of this religion, this, this temple worship. What, how do we figure all this out? And so there's some evidence that even church service was divided up by Hebrew and Gentile Christians on one side of the room, so if I were preaching, all the Hebrew Christians might be sitting over here, and all the Gentile Christians might be sitting over here, but there were, they had divided up their room that way. There's a verse in Galatians where it talks about how Peter had been persuaded to withdraw from fellowship, like he wouldn't eat together with the Gentile Christians anymore, as if they went through a potluck meal, and the Hebrew Christians ate in one corner, and the Gentile Christians ate in another. Can you imagine that? That type of church that was divided along uh, racial lines like that, cultural lines like that, even language lines like that. That'd be wild. Be wild. And so the evidence is that one group belonged, and the other group didn't. You can read in your New Testament that in some cases, the Hebrew Christians were telling the Gentile Christians, the males, that they had to get a special surgery in order to be accepted by God. You could read through that. Can you imagine? You come, we're having a new member class today. Can you imagine if that was part of the new member class? By the way, if you're a guy, there's a surgery you have to get. I mean, just church growth would be like, people would it'd be fully committed, I guess. That would be the upside to that. But maybe it showed up when a Gentile volunteer tried to teach a kid's class. 
And the Hebrew, everybody else, were, the teachers were Hebrew, and they were like, I don't, a Gentile? Can we have a Gentile teaching our kids? I don't know. What are they going to teach them? What do they know? I, I don't know if we can do that. I'm not sure we can do that. And there were these clashes. Or maybe it showed up when a Gentile brought pork chops to a fellowship meal. And he's like, hey, these are my mom's famous recipe. And all the Hebrew Christians were appalled that he had brought in that to, to the meal. I mean, maybe it showed up uh, when they decided, let's see, who are we going to ask to be treasurer? Who are we going to ask to be deacons? And it turned out only Hebrew Christians were asked to do that. The Gentile Christians were like, what does it, do we not matter? Do we not count? Like, what's, what's going on? Maybe it showed up when, uh, when a guest showed up, a Gentile guest, and they accidentally sat in the Hebrew section, and everybody's like, what are you doing over here? Gentiles and Hebrews, they do not mix. The question was, do I belong? And this is so interesting, because I kind of think if this sort of division had happened today, what would have happened is two churches would have been created. One for Hebrew Christians and one for Gentile Christians. And Paul said, that is not an option. That is not an option. That's not the way we do things in the church. We don't create separate churches for different types of people. That's not the way Christianity works. That's not the way discipleship works. But the implication, and you can read this in almost every single letter that Paul wrote, the implication, stated or not, is that there were second-rate, second-tier Christians and then there were the chosen ones, the ones that were closest to God, the ones that really were qualified, the ones that really mattered. All right, with that framework in mind, with that sort of division in mind, I want to see, show you where Paul surfaces throughout this book. See if anything jumps out at you. See if anything, any of the words jump out at you. Some of them should because I highlighted them in yellow, so if you don't notice it. Chapter 1, verse 4, For he chose us in him, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Imagine you're a Gentile Christian and it's been communicated to you that you weren't good enough. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Chapter 2. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. I mean, imagine you're sitting in a room that's divided along racial and cultural and ethnic lines like that, and you're hearing these verses read. Imagine you're a Gentile Christian who had been made to think that you were second rate. Do you think you would sit up a little bit taller? Did you think you would maybe shout an amen here and there? You'd be like, that's right. Did you hear that? I belong to God's household too. Chapter 3, verse 6. The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 4, you'll love this. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called the one hope when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And the Gentile Christians at this point were standing up and clapping because they were saying, that's exactly what we thought. We thought this was the way it was supposed to work. We thought we were included. We thought we mattered. We thought it, it made a difference that, that our voices are heard and that we're here and that we're present. We thought we were part of this family, but we were made to feel like we were second-rate, second-tier, dollar-store versions of Christians. Do you see what Paul's saying? you see how clearly he spelled it out? you got to listen to the album all the way through. You can't just listen to the greatest hits. Do you see what he's talking about? The question of, do I belong? What's the resounding answer Paul's giving us? Absolutely, yes. You belong. You belong. You belong. I have no doubt there are people in this room that feel like second-rate Christians. I have no doubt. 
And there may be people who should be in this room but aren't because they've been made to feel like second-rate Christians, and so they're just not here because it's tough to have to confront that all the time. And the reason I know that there are people in the room that feel like second-rate Christians is because I'm, I'm one of them. I'm one of the people that feels like that. When I think about my own failures and my own inadequacies, this is, this is what comes up. I've, I've messed up. And I can never be as good as someone else who hasn't messed up. I've made mistakes. I, I'm second rate. I will never, I, I am uniquely unqualified. I, I've felt that. I feel that. I struggle with that. Like, oh, what right do I have to get up on stage and tell anybody anything? You're a failure, Patrick. You have messed up. You are unqualified. You, the best you will ever do is to be a second-rate, second-tier, dime-store version of a Christian. That's the, that's the voice that I hear in my head. And I know other people feel that. I know other people feel that. Maybe you feel like you don't know enough. You didn't, you didn't grow up at church, and all these church people, they can quote verses right and left, and you didn't grow up. You don't know the special clap. Maybe you feel like you have more baggage or more regret than the people around you. Maybe you feel like whatever you're basing this on, your stats don't compare well to the other people in the room, the other Christians in the room. And there's just a million more reasons, but it's a suspicion that you do not belong, that you do not quite fit in. All right, this is important. You are not a second-rate dollar store discount disciple of Christ. You are not an outsider. You are not excluded. You are part of the family. You are a fellow citizen. You are an insider. You are part of the club. No matter who you are, where you've come from, or what you've done, you belong. No matter who you are, where you've come from, you belong. That is a fact that we don't always feel. And we don't always feel it sometimes because of the other Christians that, that are around us. We don't feel like we belong. We don't feel like we're connected. That, what I just read to you, that is theology. You belong. That is theology. And that's why I don't understand when people don't like theology. Theology is amazing. But here's, here's the pivot. This is so important. If that is true, if you belong theolo theologically, if you belong to God, if you're accepted by Christ, if, if, if Christ has forgiven your sins, if that is true theologically, then it is incumbent on us, church, to make sure that it is true relationally. If God has accepted us, it is incumbent on us to make sure that we are accepting one another in the same way that God has accepted us. If Christ died for our sins and has forgiven us, then it is incumbent on us to make sure that people feel like they are part of the household of God as well. It, it matters the way that we interact with one another, the way that we treat one another. It is a big deal. And this is why this is so important. And this is why we have to start with this idea of belonging. Because unity is the way uh, we live out belonging to God. Unity is what belonging to God looks like. ...when it's lived out among Christians. That's what it is. That's what unity is. And so you've heard this word, unity. It sounds like a theological term. It sounds kind of boring. Unity. we got to have unity. What does that mean? You and I get along. We're buddy-buddy. Unity is what belonging looks like when it's lived out among Christians. That's what it's about. If you felt like an outsider, I'm so sorry. I, I hate that. I hate that. I hate it when people don't feel welcome at church. Unity is what belonging to God looks like lived out among Christians.
I think sometimes we get this idea that unity, if you've been around church very long, it's like the Bible version of getting along or something like that. The, the word unity is, is, is uh, it literally is a Greek word that means one. It's not a theological term, it just means one. So every time you read in Ephesians 4, 4, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, that's the same word that unity is all over the Bible. It just means one. It's, if you're counting to ten, you would start with the word unity. So some of you may be thinking like, oh yeah, okay, I could get along with people. Why are you making such a big deal about this? I could get along with others. No big deal, Patrick. I mean, you seem like you're all wrapped up about this idea of unity and belonging. I get along with people. I shake hands. I want you to see the way Ephesians talks about this, this concept. All right? So what Ephesians says, if you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, Ephesians says there's some type of barrier between two types of Christians. And this is going to illustrate our barrier for us. All right? And Jesus came along, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, and it says, For he, he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, the Hebrew Christians and the Gentile Christians, he has made them one, unity, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now, for those Christians, what was the dividing wall of hostility? It was, it was the old law. The way that they interacted with God. It was not eating pork. It was not eating shellfish. It was making sure you didn't work on the Sabbath. It was all those things. It was memorizing the Bible. There was this dividing wall. And Gentile Christians were on one side. And Hebrew Christians were on one side. I can't make a very good fence if you're wondering. It's very leaning. So there's these two Christians. you got Hebrew Christians on one side. you got Gentile Christians on the other side. And in their case, very literally, in the same room, they were not sitting together. And the Bible says Jesus destroyed that wall. He destroyed that wall between the two groups. He destroyed it. He took it down. There's no barrier now, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. But this is so important. Jesus destroyed it, but the problem is, unless we're diligent about it, this wall just gets built back up between us and other people. Now, it's not based on the old law. I doubt there's anybody in here who says, I don't want to eat a pork chop, and at disciple group, they had pork chops, so I wasn't going to disciple group. It's not about that, but it's about other things, and we need to talk about these things as a church. This is really important. And there's some things you're like, well, there's just no way anybody would feel un uncomfortable for those reasons. Not true maybe you don't feel uncomfortable for those reasons but other people might so let's talk about just three areas that i think people sometimes feel this this disharmony this division and one of them is just basic it's just very straightforward and it's just those natural normal distinctions that we create and they have to do with race and they have to do with language and they have to do with gender and they have to do with nationality they have to do with those normal distinctions the reason we have borders the reason one country is is against another country they're just natural normal distinctions and god says paul says it's very clear that those distinctions should never exist within a church. They should never exist within a church. Let me give you a super tiny, silly example that some of you might even roll your eyes, but I think is those types of things that create division and disharmony that most of us don't even think about. We have this wonderful garden out in our backyard, but there's one category of people who is just out there. They're at the church building more than I am, it seems like. So almost every time I go out and look, there's, the, there's these Hmong grandmothers who are out there working that garden. I mean, they're just night and day. Any, just almost any time you come to church, there's going to be like some squash or some zucchini or some corn or whatever that you can take for free because they're so good at gardening that there's all this extra stuff all the time. 
One afternoon, one of the Hmong, grand, I'm assuming grandmothers, I don't know, so that's assumption, came in and was looking for the restroom. And I said, oh, the restroom is down there. She clearly didn't speak English, but I pointed, it's down there. And she walked down the hall, and she could see these three doors, just in our hallway, these three doors, two of which had signs. And she looked at one, and then she looked at another, and then she looked back at one, and she was like hesitating, and then she just kind of shrugged her shoulders and went into one. And I'm like, that was weird. What was going on? Well, then I looked at the doors, and they said, male and female, or men and women. There were no little pictures that told you which kind of bathroom this was, and she didn't know. And fortunately, there wasn't anybody at the building, but she just went into one hoping it was the right one, 50-50 shot, I guess. And I thought, well, here's a poor lady that we, we've created, not intentionally, we didn't, nobody was bad, nobody was like, oh, I hope nobody who doesn't speak English comes to church and gets confused about which bathroom to go in, but something that we could do, we could go out and buy signs that have this, the universal symbols on them, so someone who struggles with reading English can feel comfortable at church here. Little tiny things like that, little things. It doesn't matter. Now, it may not matter to you because you're like, oh, I can read English, and you don't even think about it. But it's those things that we naturally do. We don't even think about it that sometimes make people feel like they're a little disconnected. And it's a small example. And the reason I'm giving you a small example is because I'd get chased off the stage if I gave you a big example of the way that sometimes we make people of different cultures and races and nationalities feel uncomfortable and feel like maybe they don't belong. These natural walls that we build up, and we have got to tear them down. We've got to tear them down. We can't allow them to be built. Galatians 3, 28, Paul read this in his class this morning. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There's no Jew section. There's no Gentile section. There's no slave section. There's no free section. There's no male section. There's no female section. For you are all one in Christ. One. You are unity. You are unified in Christ. Another area that we build walls, another place we have some dividing walls, is we have just these personal, I don't know what to call them, just these personal things that we never think of them as personal, but they're our own little hang-ups. And so maybe they're things like, uh, they did something that I found offensive, and I can't get over it, and so I don't like seeing them at church, and I sit as far away from them as possible, and I don't want to have anything to do with them, and I certainly can't go to a small group with them. Maybe it's something like, I, Patrick's got some preaching quirks that I can't handle, and every time he says that word that way, I don't like it, and it's so annoying, and I'm going to have to go somewhere else, you know. I listen to myself preach sometimes. I don't like it either, so I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I agree with you. Maybe you're thinking, well, I just don't know how to relate to that person. We just don't have anything in common. They're in a different place in life. So what you're doing, every time you do that, you're allow, you, you are building that wall between you and somebody else. You're building the wall. Not just allowing it to exist, you're building the wall. Well, I'm not going to go to a small group with them because they are annoying and they're going to dominate the conversation and all their prayer requests are stupid, so I'm just not going to go. You're building the wall. And here's the crazy thing, is you think it's their fault. You're the, you think it's them. Well, if they weren't so weird and annoying, we could have unity. But you built the wall. You're the one building that division up between you and somebody else. It's absolutely bonkers. Here's, here's something that we probably need to, to say more often than we do, but, and this is bad grammar. Our being uncomfortable is not the same as their being wrong. Our being uncomfortable is not the same as their being wrong. Because we don't, we, we feel like, oh, there's a little bit of an awkward situation. It's going to take some work to be unified with them. Doesn't mean that I shouldn't try. And some of us are willing to get tripped over the smallest things. Have you noticed that? You run into that yourself. 
just the smallest little barrier. I mean, this is a pretty big barrier. This you have to take down. But some of us are just willing to get over it, tripped up over the little things. I would go to church there, but the chairs are gray. They painted the wall gray. I'm not really a I'm black and white person myself. I can't do all the gray. Whatever, you know, little things. Can I give you a, an example? One that's happened at church here. Uh, we have these blinds uh, over here at these two windows. But they, they said, you have got to leave those blinds open. Because if those blinds aren't open while I'm trying to worship God, then how am I exposed, supposed to experience his beauty and the beauty of creation? And so those blinds better be open. We've had other people say, I cannot see when those blinds are open. You need to close those blinds because there's sun glaring in and I can't see Patrick. His head's too shiny. And if you don't close those blinds, I just won't be able to worship here. And so what's the solution? Leave them halfway open? Is that going to work? No. Somebody is going to have to give up something for someone else. I could give you dozens of examples right here at this church where one person complained about something to the degree that they're like, I just don't know if I can come to church here anymore. And somebody complained about the very opposite. It's crazy. Welcome to church. We love you and accept you. The third sort of wall, we have these, these natural divisions. We have these personal divisions. But the third sort of wall that we need to talk about is these belief divisions that get created between us and other people that we build. So maybe you have a specific belief. Maybe when you're, you're checking out a new church, there's some certain things you want to know about what they believe. And that's absolutely, you have to do that. You have to have that. There are certain things, like you could go to certain churches and you're just like, I just don't agree with this group of people and I can't, I don't know that I could worship here. I, I totally get that. But it is our shared belief in Jesus that gives us an opportunity for unity to exist. Maybe you cannot wrap your mind around how someone else could believe that without having bad intentions. I mean, we're a pretty diverse theologically church. And, and the reason that maybe you get along is because we don't talk about some of that diversity. You, we, don't, we just don't talk about the difference of beliefs people have. And as long as we don't talk about it, we can feel unified. I'm not sure that's real unity. I'm not sure it's real unity to say, I will accept you as long as I don't know what I disagree with you about. <laughs> I don't think that's real unity. Aren't there things that we're supposed to have division on based on our beliefs? Aren't there some beliefs that should cause division? Short answer, yes. There are some beliefs that should cause division. It will happen. Um, 1 Corinthians, the, the entire book, First and 2 Corinthians, is written about division. The whole book is written about division. We like, to, again, greatest hits. We like to pull passages out of there. But the whole book is about division. So here's a couple of things Paul writes in the, in the books of Corinthians. Uh, the things that the Gentiles sacrifice is to demons and not to God. Uh, I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. So if somebody's a, a, a Satan worshiper, we might say, yeah, probably shouldn't have them teach the kids class on Wednesday night. That would be, that's an okay, there's a division. I guess we do have, there's, there's Satan worshipers over here. So, I mean, we, we, have, we still have to love. But, yeah, we can, belief, division. We can't be unified with someone who is worshiping demons. If they've got a little demon altar in their house, and we go over for a disciple group, and they're like, all hail Satan, that's a, there's a reason for not having fellowship with that person. That would be, that would be valid. Another one that Paul talks about is in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, he talks about what do righteousness and wickedness have in common, or what does fellowship, what, can, what fellowship can light have with darkness, and there's this way he's talking about people who don't be yoked together with unbelievers, which is a great passage that we should explore more, but yeah, it's hard to have fellowship with someone who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that he died for. It's hard. I, I get, there's, there's, a good, there's a good reason for a wall. Someone is an atheist, that seems like a good reason to, to, to have division. Yeah. 
Now, I'm kind of joking, I'm showing you these extreme examples, but what I do want you to note is that there are not very many things in the list in the Bible that talk about this disharmony. It's not a very long list. And so if you've got a really long list, you may want to check that list against what God has said in the Bible. There is one thing, and, I'll, and I want to wrap up talking about this. There is one thing that he does talk about and saying this, you can divide with someone based on this. And it, Paul talks about it in a number of places, but one section, Titus chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Titus chapter 3, verses 10 and 11 says this. Listen to this. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. Isn't that so interesting? One of the reasons we can build a wall between ourselves and somebody else is if that person is divisive and not seeking unity in Christ. It's very interesting. We should explore that more sometime. Well, let me, let me wrap up by saying this, and, uh, and I think this is so important. Ephesians continues to talk about this. This is, this is valuable. But what, what our church is doing right now, and we're talking about this primarily on Sunday mornings, and we're discussing it on Wednesday nights and in disciple groups, but we're talking about this idea of gender and role in the church. And it is not, there's a lot of disagreement about the idea. And, and there is room for differences of opinion. Paul spoke in his class this morning, Paul the Maynard, not Paul the Apostle, spoke in his class this morning about this idea of making sure that we know that it's unlikely that everybody is going to agree 100% on this topic. We know that there's room for disagreement, but one place that needs to be on our essential, essentials list is, is unity. Unity is essential. Unity is essential. Let me read you one last verse. I want you to use this as a standard for when you're thinking about those people with whom you disagree. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Have you done that? If you're mad at somebody in church, have you done that? Every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Let's pray.